Hey, my name's Jeremy, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Shelter Cove. And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in with us today. I firmly believe you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be inspired, but most of all, that God's going to do something through this message that's going to move you closer to Jesus. Thanks again for tuning in. need your Bible. So if you've got it, open it and meet me in Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you in just a moment. As always, feel free to use your electric device. Uh, grab your message notes. Those are a great way to track with us today. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Before we dive into Romans chapter 8, uh, I just want to share with you just a little bit of my heart for this series. It's called Deeper. And here's why. There's going to be different times, different seasons in the life of our church where I really want us to slow down and go deep into a passage of Scripture. We did that with Hebrews 11 uh, a while back. We want to do that with uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to take six weeks and really dive down deep, go verse by verse through what I believe to be, if not the most powerful, one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible. And here's why. Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit, clearly communicates to all of us who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And see, my, my prayer for, for every single one of you is that you would be confident in your walk with Christ. Why? Because you're confident in who God is, what God's done, and what God's capable of doing. Because if we're confident as followers of Jesus Christ, it changes the way we live. Don't miss that. You watch the NBA Finals, so many of these guys are so confident in their athletic ability, it changes the way that they play. By the way, any Warriors fans in the house today? Come on. Any uh, Toronto Raptors fans in the house? Okay, we got a couple sinners, so let's pray for them, all right? We're gonna have a prayer meeting for the Raptor fans up front afterwards. Here's the reality, these NBA players, they are so confident in themselves, and the danger is, is if we're confident in our ability, ourselves, we will always be hurt and disappointed. And so Paul, in this chapter, is saying, I want you to be confident in God because of the finished work of Jesus. Now, why is that so important? Because for us, our word this year is fearless. Confident Christians will result in fearless Christians. God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Confident in who God is, what God's done, and what God is capable of doing. And so what Paul's gonna do in this entire chapter is drop truth after truth after truth. Why is that so important? Because that's the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, I, I am the truth. Jesus said, I came to testify to the truth. That's what he said in John chapter 18. Jesus constantly in the gospel said, I, I tell you the truth. And so we're going to hear the truth, but not only that, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity and the power to live out the truth, which is ultimately what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus, is to, to be somebody that's living out the truth in such a way where we are obeying God in every area of our life. And again, that's only possible with the Holy Spirit, which is why Paul mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times in Romans chapter 8. The first eight chapters are, are really about the foundation of who we are in Christ. 
Chapter uh, 9 through 11 in Romans is really about uh, our salvation and God's sovereignty. And then 12 through the end of the letter is really about how to live the Christian life. And so today we're, we're going to start off and really, really look at who we are in Christ. Now, Paul, in the first seven chapters of Romans, has already talked about the reality that we are sinners that God's wrath is, is, is upon us, that we need a Savior, that God sent Jesus to live a sinless life, a perfect life, to die on the cross, raised from the grave, conquer death, conquer sin, that we are justified, sanctified. And then he says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Romans 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, if you've got a pen, a pencil, a highlighter, if you don't have any of those, cut your finger, right, circle in blood, that verse in your Bibles, that is one of the most comforting, confident building verses in the entire Bible. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Heavenly Father, in this moment, God, would you just humble us? Would you, would you once again allow us to understand our, our need for Jesus? That that need would never fade, that that need would never get old. But God, that, that we would realize once again today how dependent we are on Jesus Christ. God, today, would you remind us who we are because of what you've done? God, would you take over my heart, my mouth, my mind? I need your help to communicate your words, your passion, your truth to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We all, uh, we all love TV shows about justice. I think about any time there's a courtroom scene or there's lawyers or a judge or an investigation of some kind. We, we, just, we just love that. I think about CSI. There's so many different CSI shows, Law and Order. How many of you love those kind of shows where there's like a problem? And yeah, we just love justice. I, I think about some of these old ones, uh, Perry Mason, Matlock. How many of you used to watch those in the day? Yes, Murder, She Wrote. Angela Lansbury, she was just crazy smart. She'd always find out like it was the crazy neighbor's uncle's father's brother's sister who was in the show for like three seconds. They were guilty of whatever. She was just really, really smart. Uh, I was uh, recently ran into somebody and they, they, they stopped me. I didn't, didn't know this person. They're like, hey, has anybody ever told you that you look like Bull from Night Court? How many of you remember <laughs> Night Court? And unfortunately, I said, uh, yeah, actually, you're not the first person that's told me that. So I think we got a, a picture up here. Um, 
So I look like a celebrity, is that what you're saying? Anyway, turn that down before you scar him for life. Anyway, we, we love justice. There's a problem, and we, we loved it to be solved in a, in a right way, a fair way. Our culture craves that. Well, what about us? How does God deal with, with our problem, knowing that God is a just, perfect father? Today, in the four verses that we're looking at, we're really looking at this simple question. It's how does Jesus deal with the greatest problem, our greatest problem, which is what? It's sin. How does, how does God, our Father, deal with the fact that we have sin in our life? Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't supposed to. They disobeyed God. Sin entered their lives and has infected every single one of us. So that we are separated from God deserving the wrath of God, deserving hell, eternal separation. How does God deal with that? Because he is perfectly just. He is holy. He cannot allow any sin into heaven. And we're going to see a couple things that, that our loving Heavenly Father does. In your notes, the first thing we see is the power of justification. The power of justification now, what is justification? It's, it's a legal term. It's, it's really when a judge bangs the, the gavel and says, you're not guilty. It's where, where God looks at us and he declares us righteous, those that are, what, in Christ. Now, now what does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ means to have a relationship with Christ. To be in Christ means that we've surrendered your our life to Christ. To be in Christ is so much more than being a part of religion. It's so much more than knowing about who Jesus is, knowing about what Jesus has done, knowing about the power that Jesus has. No, being in Christ is where we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Bless you. We have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, and we have said, you know what? We realize that you are the only one that has the power to save me. And that's why Paul says there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's why if, we, if this represents us in our life, in our sin, those that are inside of Christ, when God sees us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son, Jesus. He sees his son righteousness. That's what it means to be declared righteous because here's the reality. Jesus says, you're not guilty, but we all know we are. We all know that we've sinned. We all know that we've fallen short of God's standard. We all know that we're guilty of breaking just about every single one of God's laws. So when God looks at us and he bangs the gavel and says, you're not guilty, it's only those that are in Christ. Why? Because God doesn't see us. He sees his son. He sees the imputed righteousness of Jesus in our lives. Church, this is the greatest news. This is the news that we share across the street and around the world. That there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, which means there doesn't need to be any shame for those that in Christ Jesus, God saying, you're not guilty, even though we know we are. You know, I've, uh, I've broken the traffic laws a few times in my life. I'm not going to tell how many a few are, um, and I've had the privilege of going to traffic school. How many of you have also been to traffic school? Bunch of lawbreakers in here. All right. 
Uh, I've gone a couple times. I went to a Laugh Your Way to a traffic school. I've also done the one online. And here's the crazy thing about a traffic school. You go, you complete the, the class. What does it do to your record? Takes off a point, right? And I've realized you can only get one point taken off per year. Don't ask how I know that, all right? Um, but I went to traffic school. I also went to traffic school online where you don't even have to go to a place. You just show up and you have to read all of this stuff. You just press the space bar and you eventually take these tests at the end of each chapter. How many of you have done traffic school online, by the way? Yes. So here's what happened to me. Just to be honest, I was pressing the space bar because I wasn't reading everything. And they said I was speeding. Like, really? Like, really? I got a ticket for speeding, and now I'm taking traffic school, and I'm speeding again. My therapist is helping with me with that. I'm getting there. But I was able to get my record erased, but it cost me something. Here's the deal with justification. Your record is not just erased with one point partially. It is completely erased. But you didn't pay the price. Jesus did. Jesus paid the price to get you to a place where God can look at you and say, not guilty. Not because of anything you've done, but solely by the grace of God. Now, here's, here's what this means. Four points in your notes. Number one is Jesus delivered us from the penalty of sin. This is the power of justification. Jesus delivered us from the penalty of sin. And I love what it says in John 3, 18. This is what it says. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him, uh, believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. So what, what do we need to do to, to not be condemned? We need to believe. It's, it's faith. It's, it's trusting in God, it's, it's being in Christ. Again, when we're in Christ, it changes who we are. What does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ, it means that I'm a new creature. It means that I'm a saint. It means that I'm part of the church. It means that I am a temple for God's spirit. It means that I am the eternal plan of God. It means that I am a light. It means that I am enriched. Now, the challenge for the rest of our lives is actually walking in this identity, because for the rest of our lives, as followers of Jesus Christ, those that are in Christ, where when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ, Satan, for the rest of our lives, will try to say, oh, you, you are guilty. I know what you've done. I know what you said. I know your mistakes. And so God will look at us and say, you're not guilty, but we look at ourselves and we feel guilty. And so here's the challenge is to see yourself the way God sees you. <laughs> Forgiven, free, not guilty, no condemnation. Well, how is this possible? Well, it's possible, first of all, because it's by grace. It's possible because it's by grace. In other words, it's a gift. God's done all the work. I love what Martin Luther said. He put it this way. He said, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man is that somehow he can make himself good enough to deserve to live forever with an all-holy God. Luther's saying that the worst thing anybody could ever think is that in some way, by, by human effort, by works, we can be good enough to appease God. 
See, there is nothing we've ever done, there's nothing we could ever do to earn our salvation, to be justified before God. Why? Because grace is a gift. How would you describe grace? Why well, describe it this way? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's what, what Christ did on the cross. It's, it's a gift. You know, if I was in court and I was guilty for doing a crime, and somebody, the judge said, hey, you're guilty, but, but somebody from the crowd said, hey, Jeremy, I'm willing to come and take your place. I'm willing to take your punishment. You can go free. I would have to humble myself enough to say, thank you so much. I, I, I would love to, to trade places with you. And that's what Jesus has done for every single one of us. He said, you know what, I want to sw switch places. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to pay the penalty. I'm going to pay the price for your sin. And you get to be free. The one thing you need to do is trust me. The one thing that you need to do is put your faith in me. The one thing that you need to do, to do is believe you have to be in Christ. I was talking to a friend recently. And I said, I, I believe that the greatest attribute for a Christian is humility. Why? Because without humility, we'll never see our need for, for God. See, a prideful heart says, God, I don't need you. Prideful heart says, God, I can do this on my own. Prideful heart says, God, I, I can earn my way to heaven. No, we are justified, first of all, solely by grace. Not only that, through faith. We are justified by grace through faith. It's not based on obedience to the law. You can't save yourself. It's not about tipping the scales in some way, shape, or form. In fact, I love that Jesus made a way to God when we had no way to God. Galatians 2.16, Paul puts it this way. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What's Paul saying right there? Paul's saying that religion will never save you. Doing all the right things will never save you. It's, it's only faith. It's by grace through faith. You know, Isaiah 64 says that all have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. How many of you have heard that verse before? Some of you? This idea of filthy rags, that, that our best efforts in the eyes of God are, are nothing but filthy, dirty rags. Well, what is filthy in the Hebrew? It's, it's ida, which means the bodily fluids of a woman's menstrual cycle. So what's, what's Isaiah saying? That our best works, our best efforts are nothing but the disgusting, soiled, feminine hygiene project products of a woman. Our, our, our best efforts, why? Because we are saved by grace, through faith, and then lastly, we are eternally secure. What, what does that simply mean? That means there's nothing that we could ever do to lose our salvation because we never did anything in the first place to, to earn it. Why? Because it's by grace and it's through faith. That means once we are saved, we are always saved. I know so many people that struggle with that. They sin, they, they fall away from God, they, they start 
making mistakes and they wonder if they're, they're even saved anymore. There's nothing you could ever do to, to lose your salvation. Maybe somebody was never even saved in the first place because they never really surrendered their life to Jesus. We're saved by grace, through faith, we are eternally secure. John, John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Jesus is saying that the believers in Jesus Christ, no one's gonna take them out of my hands and nobody's gonna take them out of my Father's hands. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says that we are sealed for the day of redemption. It's a future time where we're gonna have our glorified bodies. We're sealed. Once saved, always saved. You know, I was, I was uh, at home a couple weeks ago and my son was having a little bit of a rough day and he had a pair of shorts he was wearing and he put his finger in them and he was just frustrated and he ripped his shorts. And so I went up to the, the room and just started talking to him and just tried to be patient and said, son, why did you do that? I got frustrated, I got angry. And I said, okay, you're gonna need to replace those. You need to buy yourself a new pair of shorts. You just don't rip shorts. It's like that, they had a hole and it doesn't matter. You have, to, you have to buy a new pair. And he said, dad, I can't. I said, why not? He said, I don't, I don't have the money. Can't afford it. And I said, well, I walked out and said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna think about this for a while, but we're gonna have to figure something out. So when we went, went away a couple days with Kelly, came back, um, got him a new pair of shorts and I, I sat down with him and said, son, I, I got you something. He said, Dad, what'd you get me? I said, I got you a pair of shorts. Because I, I believe that this communicates what God has done for your life. He said, what, what, what do you think this means that, that, that I'm giving you a pair of shorts? What does that mean that God does for us? He's like, Dad, that God gives us another chance. I'm like, yes, but something else. He's like, Dad, I, I don't know. I said, Drew, just as there was nothing you could do to pay the price for your shorts, there's nothing you could ever do to pay the price for your salvation. And God just doesn't give you something different. He gives you something brand new. And that's what God has done for us on the cross. Now, son, next time, don't rip your shorts because I'm not going to get you another pair. <laughs> but it was, it was cool because it was just this, this little opportunity for a teaching moment where we are justified by grace through faith and we are eternally secure. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what difference does that make in my life right now? Jeremy, my, my life's going out the window. My relationships are falling apart. My, my finances are a wreck. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. How, how does justification make any difference in my life right now? Well, it gives us a perspective because you will live 80, 90, maybe 100 years. That doesn't even scratch the surface of how many years you're going to spend in eternity. I could say 80 million years, 90 million years, 100 million years, but that's not even a fraction of how long we will be in eternity. And it gives us the perspective of, of being able to get through life right now. Some of you are saying, you know what? My family's a wreck. My kids are a wreck. What mistakes did I do? And you're going to spend your whole life trying to figure that out. Here's the, here's the point. You don't have to because of God's grace, his forgiveness, the fact that you are right with God. There are some things in this life that you will never figure out. But the one thing everybody needs to figure out is how to be right with God. And that's solely through Jesus Christ. And some of us are thinking, well, man, <laughs> If I'm justified and I'm forgiven and there's nothing I could ever do to lose my salvation, why, why not just sin? Well, Paul addresses that two chapters earlier in Romans chapter 6. 
Should I just keep on sinning so that, sin may in, so that grace may increase? He says, by no means I died to sin. The church, yes, we are justified, but sin still has consequences. Sin will, sin will still affect our relationship with God and others. Sin will still kill our joy. But at the end of the day, if we are in Christ, we are justified just as if we never sinned. Moving on in your notes, what's the next point? Next point is Jesus delivered us from the power of sin. Jesus delivered us from the power of sin. Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. One of the things I love is I love watching airplanes take off and land. I, I just think it's a miracle. I, I used to live down in LA and I would uh, sit outside of LAX a ways up, up on the hill and I watched these airplanes just take off and, and land uh, every minute. And, and I realized that the, the law of aerodynamics was greater than the law of gravity. Even though these planes were really heavy, the fact that they're aerodynamic allows them to take off and land and fly thousands of miles up in the air, hundreds of miles all over the, 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 the world, literally. Why? Because the law of aerodynamics is greater than the law of gravity. What Paul's saying here is that the law of the Spirit is so much greater. It's defeated the law of sin and death. It's so much more powerful than that. He goes on and says, Jesus defeated sin where the law only detects sin. The law only tells us what's wrong. Jesus fixed it. One of the things I can't stand is when I get into my car and the, the check engine light goes on. Why? Because it could be like a hundred different things. And you go to the dealership and they run a diagnostic and they find out what it is. They tell you what's wrong. And if you want it fixed, what do they do? They charge you more. What, what does the law do? The Old Testament law tells us what's wrong. It's a mirror. So we, so we know what's wrong in our, our life. It detects sin. But what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to defeat it. Jesus came to, to make us right because we couldn't make ourselves right puts it this way, for God is done with the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law can do a lot of great things. It can teach us, it can lead us, it can guide us, it can tell us what's right, what's wrong in our lives. But it doesn't give us the power to be right with God. Only Jesus can do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. And if that's not a, enough, not only Jesus defeated sin, where the law only detects sin, Jesus is our perfect substitute. Paul put it this way, he says, by sending his own son in the likeness, that's a key word right there, likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's why Romans 5, 6 says, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul was very careful with his words here. Don't miss this. He said that Christ came in the likeness of sin. Whose sin? Our sin. Jesus was perfect. He was flawless. He was the perfect substitute. Why? He was fully human and fully God at the same time. Something that we will not allow. Our, our, our finite minds can't be, be understanding of that. So if you're justified, you're, you're completely forgiven. If you're justified, you've been made righteous. If you're justified, you've been declared not guilty and you can never be condemned by grace, 
through faith, eternally secure. See, church, this is the difference between religion and a relationship. This is the difference between a prideful heart and a humble heart. This is why I love Luke 15, the story of the lost son. Jesus tells a story of a son that was at one point prideful enough where he went up to his dad and said, Dad, I don't want you, I want your stuff. Give me your inheritance. And he goes off and he just spends all of his inheritance on wild living, hookers, prostitutes, partying, drinking, all of that kind of stuff. He gets to a point where he has no money, no food, he's feeding pigs, and their food actually looks appetizing to him. Talk about hitting rock bottom. Gets to a point in his life where he says, you know what, I'm gonna go back home I'm going to to beg my dad to just be one of his hired men, one of his servants, because that life is better than the life that I'm currently living. He humbles himself enough to say, Dad, would you take me back? What does his dad do? He sees him coming home. He runs out, meets him. He gives him a robe, puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet. He he literally crowns him with righteousness and says, you know what, throw a party, throw a feast. My, My son that was lost is now found. Why? Because he was willing to humble himself enough knowing that life was better with his father. And then there's the older brother. What's the older brother doing? It's like, dad, really? Never threw a party for me. Never got to invite all my friends over. Dad, you, did you forget all the work I've done for you? All the stuff I've done for you? See, here's the difference in these two brothers. And the the. The bottom line, the older brother thought he could earn his father's favor through his works, while the younger brother humbled himself and begged for mercy. See, we are justified not because of anything we've ever done or anything that we could ever do. We're declared not guilty because of the finished work of Jesus Christ for all those that are in Christ. Church, that is the power of justification. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Point two in your notes is this. It's the power of sanctification. It's the power of sanctification. See, when a person is is sanctified, they're set apart for the holy work of God. And this is what Paul says. Those who walk according to the flesh Walk uh, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul's making it very clear that once we are justified and made right with God, a righteous life leads us to live a sanctified life. In other words, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you know what, you're, you're set apart. But then the rest of our life, we're, we're living out this progressive sanctification where there's progress in our life, where we're becoming more and more like Jesus till the end of our life, where finally when we die and we're in heaven, there is complete sanctification where we are like Jesus. We're flawless. But it's the power of sanctification. Now, how does this manifest itself? Two points in your notes. Number one, the Spirit empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to God. How do you live a life that's pleasing to God? It's through the Spirit. It's only through the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit, His his power, is greater than the power of the flesh in our lives. And sometimes it's a struggle. It's not a perfect life. Even Paul said, you know what? There's times in my life where I just struggle. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't do, I I, want to do. What What a wretched man I am. 
Like he wanted to live this life that was spirit-filled and acknowledging the Spirit. But the Spirit empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to God. It is only possible with the Spirit. But second of all, the Spirit allows us to live a life of joy. Spirit allows us to live a, a life of joy. Um, got to get away last weekend and uh, did this thing called the escape room. It's where you go to this place and you pay money and they lock you in a room and they give you a bunch of clues and you got to find a way to get out. It's great to do with people that are claustrophobic. It just drives them crazy. How many of you have done one of those escape rooms before? Yeah, there's people that like travel like literally all over the country and do these things. And we went to a room where uh, we picked the toughest one on, on accident and I found out afterwards that nobody had ever escaped from that room without any clues because there's somebody that's watching you on multiple cameras and every time you need a, a clue, they're willing to help you because they want you to get out. And they say, all the team needs to do is just raise their hands and they will, will give you clues. And so you know what I did the whole time? I just, just walked around like this. <laughs> Just walked around like this. And you, you, it, it only works when like the whole team raises their hands. So everybody's like, Jeremy, put your hands down. I'm like, hey, I'm not asking for, I'm just praising Jesus right now, right? I'm just, I'm just praising Jesus. But there was something powerful about getting in a place where we know we were stuck and saying, we can't do this. Will you help us? And every time everybody on the team raised their hand, guess what we'd get? We'd get a clue. We'd get some help. We, we get direction. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Every time we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us live a life of joy because that's a life that ultimately pleases God. And it was amazing. We were able to get out in time. We celebrated. Why? Because we didn't try to do it on our own. We're humble enough and stupid enough. We said, hey, the only way we're going to figure this out is if we stick our hands up and we ask for help. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us the power and the help to live a life that's separated for the purpose and work of God. Now, here's two questions I want to leave you with today. Based on the power of justification and the power of sanctification, is simply this, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that when you stand before God, God's not gonna see you, but he's gonna see Jesus because you have surrendered in the best way you know how your life to Jesus Christ because there's only one alternative. If you're not in Christ, you're separated from Christ. You're condemned, and the wrath of God is upon you. Church, I just love you enough that I tell you that clearly and bluntly. Are you in Christ? If it, the answer is I don't know, or the answer is no, my prayer is that today you will make that decision to be in Christ. Here's the second question to consider is are you walking according to the Spirit? Are, are you walking according to the Spirit? Are you living a life where, yeah, you're not perfect, but you're craving that? Now, don't miss this before you put your pens, pens away. This isn't a life of perfection. This is a life where we're doing the best we can. Again, even Paul struggled with this one chapter earlier in, in Romans chapter seven. He said, what I want to do, I don't do, but it was a struggle. 
if it is not a struggle for you at all, and there is zero desire for obedience, you're not a Christian. And I love you again enough to tell you that. I'm not talking about perfect. I'm not perfect. Boy, I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. I say that because some of you are fooled today. You've bought into the lie where if you just go to church enough, if you serve, if you give, if you do all of the right things in some way, you're going to be right with God. No, it's allowing yourself to surrender your life completely to Jesus that ultimately leads you to doing the right things. It's a life where you say, God, in the best way that I know how, I want to surrender my life to Jesus so that you can justify me and you can sanctify me. It's the power of the gospel, friends. Let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for these words of Paul. That you love us, that you've come to save us, that you've met our greatest need. God, for those that are hurting today, for those that are confused today, for those that have been thrown a curveball in life that they haven't expected, but your grace and your comfort and your power be upon us. God, thank you that when we stand in the courtroom, your courtroom, that because of Jesus, you can declare us not guilty. If you're here today and you have no idea where you are in your walk with God, or if you're really honest with yourself, you know where you are. You're not in Christ. You're not saved. You're not justified. You've bought into trying to, to live out a better version of yourself, to try to earn your way to God, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now with all heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you want to be right with God, you want to be saved from your sin, you want to know that eternity is waiting for you in heaven, you can do that through a simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer, it's the attitude of your heart. It can go something like this. Dear Jesus, save me. Forgive me. But you make me new. In the best way that I know how right now, I invite you into my life to be my Savior, to be my Lord, and to take total control. Thank you for loving me and thank you for forgiving me. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around. But whether you're in the loft or right here, if that's your desire for the first time, would you just raise your hand and look at me? Wherever you're at, you're saying, you know what? That's my desire. Good, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Greatest decision you could ever make. Say, you know what? I want to be right with God. Good, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Good, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Good, over there, over here. Just say, you know what? I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else? Greatest decision you could ever make. God, thank you so much for the hands that were raised and the hearts that were changed today. God, thank you that your Holy Spirit gives us the power to live a holy life. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.